Hey, what's up, y'all? Alan Kenny, host of Blatant Homerism Podcast here. Uh, been on a little bit of a hiatus, but uh, time to get back in gear. We've got uh, Bill Conley of SB Nation on. Uh, Bill's a longtime friend, of course. Uh, talking a little bit about uh, advanced stats in college football and how he sees things maybe shaking out this year. But uh, let's go ahead and welcome him on. Bill, how you doing? Oh, good. How are you? When's the first year we did this? Like oh nine or something like something that. Something like a while. that. Yeah, it is. It really has. We're going. Yeah, we're going on uh, close to ten years now. <laughs> so it makes me wonder too. Like I know, obviously, you're in the middle of uh, counting down with your previews of every single college football team in Division One this year, or pardon me, FBS. Um, how many years have you done this now? Uh, the preview series itself at, at SB Nation, I think this is uh, year eight. I think 2011 was the first year uh, that we put these together. Man, so I've got to ask, like, is college football game boring for you? <laughs> well, I mean, I think because I, this is the way to make sure it doesn't get boring. You're talking about 130 different teams in the offseason um, and kind of touching base with like 130 different fan bases and all the different issues and all that. I think that prevents it. Cause if I was just talking about, you know, the national title race, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for eight months, it's devastatingly boring. Uh, you know, that's, that's, it just is. And so this is the way, uh, you know, you kind of revisit narratives that you might not have gotten to visit during the year. If, it, if a, some mid major team stunk, I still get, I still have a day for, you know, Charlotte, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a day, a day for whoever, and I think that helps a lot. And, and it really does. Um, you know, I think it gets a little easier in that regard each year because I do have kind of the background of the, the built up narrative from previous years. So I can kind of revisit it. And these take maybe a couple minutes less each time, each time around. Um, but no, just generally speaking, it's 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 a it's a fun thing. It's a labor of love. And, um, you know, there are times when I think of all the features I could write if I weren't doing this. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think this is something I'm I'm known for, and I really like doing it, and so we're gonna keep right on doing it. Yeah, you know, it's just that it feels kind of odd to me because in, it feels like since uh, the college football playoffs started, maybe what was that, 2014? Mm-hmm. The last few years, more and more, uh, you know, some of those programs, the Charlottes, the you know, even like the Boise States, what have you, they seem to be so far to me, in, at least in the the major public consciousness, on the back burner. Um, that it's, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure if, if we're, if this is heading in, in a, in a good direction for them. Yeah. I mean, I think overall we've always focused mostly on the heavyweights obviously, but Mm -hmm. it does feel like, um, just from the moment the, 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 the playoff came into existence, you know, with ESPN's significant help here, Mm -hmm. uh, it, it has been such a big push for you know the playoff is all that matters kind of stuff and um you know obviously if when when you're not thinking of of an from a national level you know boise state matters to boise state fans as much as it ever has um and 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 so there's kind of the national narrative and then there's the local narrative and i really try to tap into and get to know the local fan bases and the local and the programs as as that you know as they exist uh in 2018 but no, I think overall, it's between the Heisman and the playoff race that that occupies most of our our general thought, and you have to you have to consciously try to escape that little bubble and talk about a broader array of topics. Otherwise, like like we're like you know it, it really would get boring as hell if I was just talking about like six teams all off season. Yeah, absolutely, and you know that's what I. Uh... 
you know, if you flip on, for example, you know, um, Sirius XM now has a dedicated uh, college football or college sports, I guess you'd say, mm. uh, channel. You know, you flip that on at any given time, and I mean, it it's it feels like, you know, you're you're most likely going to hear something about Nick Saban, Alabama, Clemson, maybe Ohio State, something like that. I mean, it's just. Th- that kind of homogenization to me mm-hmm. has just gotten gotten you know pretty pretty excruciating recently. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I today's preview was on uh, Michigan. It's on you know mm-hmm. Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, um, and that's been. First of all, like when I was writing it, I, I casually mentioned blah 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 in his first three years, and then I had to step back and like, wait, he's only been there three years. Yeah. Oh God, been, it's been crushing. We've been talking about how he's an underachiever since like his second game there because like I I, I don't know like it, it, it's on, on a general scale he's following kind of a normal path like he inherited a pretty uh, you know a talented but shaky roster immediately made them good dealt with a ton of quarterback injuries the last year and a half therefore lost some games he shouldn't have that's a very normal narrative but maybe it is it's because it's michigan because it's jim harbaugh and because it's the you know he hasn't made the college football playoff yet even though he came within about an inch of doing so two years ago Mm -hmm. like a literal inch yes um like it's 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 a narrative it is there pressure is there is he disappointment is he on the hot seat and all this stuff and it drives me crazy Mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah i mean yeah there's there's definitely been that uh just inability to let things kind of uh, gestate, you know, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, the, the other thing that I, I wanted to ask you about is obviously, I mean, you've been at the forefront of trying to get a, you know, more kind of rigorous um, analytical view of college football kind of uh, into the into the mainstream here. And, and I mean, you know, uh, you've been pretty successful. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, how much I think uh, – you know, publicity or for lack of a better word, but I mean, people are referring back, you know, the, the heavyweights, you know, you see people talking about S and P plus now, maybe on, uh, on ESPN, you know, or, you know, you, you know, major personalities mentioning it, you know, on, uh, you know, the radio, what have you, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like at what point it, you know, it's, it's definitely a very good thing that we've got, you know, we're going beyond, um, you know, kind of the, the more basic raw stats, but at what point do you worry or, or does not worry, but that, that maybe people don't have the best grasp necessarily of what your numbers actually mean or say. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, there's a general sense of what a computer ranking is. Um, But beyond that, well, number one, I mean, a lot of people kind of don't, a lot of people are going to view college football as a transitive process anyway we beat this team therefore we're better than this team mm-hmm. and and of course that never ever 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 works beyond like one degree of separation and of course the most obvious immediate example based on who i'm talking to right now is is 08 oklahoma yeah. texas <laughs> texas tech um texas tr- threw a giant fit about you know not being in the bcs title game because they beat oklahoma even though they lost to a team that oklahoma crushed mm-hmm. i mean it's 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 we we want things to be kind of this transitive linear easy to understand kind of thing and it's just not uh, we're, you're, yeah. we're we're making these massive judgments off of 12 games uh and uh, in in a universe of 130 teams or at least 65 or so teams depending on how you want to uh count who's really who's really yeah. a, an fbs team who has a chance at the national title um 
And that's really, really hard and, and it's really, really inaccurate and, and it's going to be hard to really actually make any conclusions. And so basically like S&P Plus was designed to acknowledge gray area as much as anything else and, and acknowledge that things are a little weird and uh, very, you know, pointy ball and 19 year old dudes. I mean, it's, it's always going to be a very inconsistent thing. And so, um, if you try to understand that, I think that general concept that, you know, one game doesn't really isn't, isn't a narrative, isn't uh, anything really, I, I think you, you can pretty clearly understand that. But, um, what's funny about, you know, flipping that around a little bit. I mean, there are people who will go out of the way not to understand it, but at the same time, there are people who basically it's a computer, therefore it's gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes a very, an us versus them argument, no matter what, because I, well, there was a, um, I think it was a Purdue fan, uh, you know, a person who, who writes for the, um, the Purdue SB nation site kind of became like sarcastically started rebelling against S and P because they were told all about how, you know, how great it is. Well, but didn't see Purdue being good last year, you know, and all that. Um, It it becomes an us versus them thing that I hate, Uh, you know, and, you know, I I don't know. Like it's it's really cool that it's it's gained in notoriety and, and there are certain you know, people at ESPN that will reference it from time to time. Uh, but I, I, it hasn't necessarily introduced the gray, the, the gray matter in between that I really enjoy. And I revel, I, I love rolling around in the gray matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't really work when you're talking, when, when we're talking about, you know, narratives and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that the best applications that I've found, for these are, are really more in describing what's happening as opposed oh, to, yeah. I think people want to see it more as a predictive tool. And I, I, to me, it seems like the best application of being able to say, okay, well, you know, you can see right here. I mean, you know, Oklahoma's giving up a lot of explosive plays, that type of thing, you know? Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's why I started doing it. I was looking for ways to just, you know, back when I started a Mizzou blog on blog spot back mm-hmm. yeah. in like early 2007, and that's when I started playing around with numbers. Cause I wanted to have something unique to say, or be able to make sure I was kind of looking thing, at looking at things from an objective point of view. And when, when I Googled college football analytics and nothing really came up, you know, uh, Brian Vermeau had just started FEI, I think the mm-hmm. year before, at football outsiders, but that was drive level and that wasn't quite what I was looking for. That's why I started kind of playing around in the first place. Um, if I'd found what I was looking for, I would have probably just used that. I'm sure I would have bound, I would have tried to kind of build on top of it, but it, you know, I, I didn't set out to, to create a, a system of analytics. I did it cause nobody else was. Um, but that was the whole point was I wanted to be able to describe what I was seeing better. I was, I was writing first and looking for stats to, to kind of supplement that. I wasn't just creating numbers and then learning how to write after that. So, um, the descriptive part, I mean, that's, that's what I think S and P is best at. I try to obviously make it as predictive as possible. And it, I think it holds its own just fine. Um, you know, if you take out, I, I don't know, I don't even know how you get on prediction tracker. Um, but, but, but generally I think you have to submit something and I'm way too unreliable to do that. But, uh, you know, I post the picks weekly and if you follow those along, I mean, you'll hit, you'll usually end up, you know, top 15, you know, if it were in prediction tractor tracker, it would be top 15 on that list out of about 40 or 50 most of the time in terms of, you know, performance against the spread. I don't think their absolute error number takes FCS games into account. And if you take out my FCS games, which you can, which can be massively, you know, error prone based on how long the team wants to keep its foot on the gas. 
uh, if you take those out, I think it performs really well from a general like average error standpoint too. So um, it holds its own in that regard, but I like it just because when I'm writing these previews, I can talk about rushing success rate and passing and pass standard downs versus passing downs and when teams got better or worse and all these other things that help my writing more than like, that's why I do it. I, it has to be good at making predictions because that's what people care about, yeah. but I like it because of the descriptive aspect. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, then to me, that's where I'm able to, I, I feel like I glean the most, most from it there. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, uh, you know, the one, one, one place I, I do think where it's also had a lot of success, maybe as a predictive tool looking ahead, is also identifying teams that, you know, should have had maybe a better record the year before or yeah. were better than their record would have uh, would have led you to believe. You know, I, a classic one would be that um, Texas A&M team, I think, yeah. that moved from the Big 12 to the SEC. I, I tried to explain to people when that team was actually playing really well in 2012 that – in 2011, A&M actually fielded a good team. You know, the record didn't really tell you yeah. that, but uh, you know, it was all all the signs were there for that team to take a big leap forward. And you know, they got that with a new coach. Uh, are there any, and, and obviously a new quarterback, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. But are there any? Who are the teams like that this season? Well, what's interesting is. Um... Like, yeah, those are the two go-to examples that I always bring up are 2011 A&M and 2011 Notre Dame. Those two, those two teams both went, I think seven and six or one was eight and five or something. Uh, They were both in like the S and P top 12 or 13, I think. And it looked really weird. And I got yelled at for it uh, because obviously there was a, you know, A&M's a choker because they had all those bad third quarters basically, or uh, some bad fourth quarters too, I guess. Um, But they held their own. They led a lot of times by double digits against a bunch of, really good teams uh, and got some bad breaks at the end of games and uh, if they had played a 162 game schedule they would have probably been awesome they probably would have been just fine it would have just been like a little funk that they fell into and then they got out of it Um, but because we judge everything based on 12 or 13 games uh, they're disappointing Mike Sherman got fired and and all that um, but yeah, they, they, both of those teams, A&M and Notre Dame were clearly very close from a, just a, from a general on paper standpoint to being a tremendous team. A&M changes quarterbacks and coaches uh, and goes straight to, I think they finished third in S and P the next year, uh, you know, beat Alabama, barely lost to Florida and LSU and, uh, Notre Dame went 12 and 0 and made the BCS title game. They, mm-hmm. they were only like eighth best, obviously. They, so, um, but they were still really good. Again, they were only a little bit better than the previous year and it made a humongous difference. So, um, what's funny though, is, is you look at the 2017 rankings and I have made some tweaks, uh, to the formula to kind of better adjust for opponents, I think. Um, but they're really, the win totals kind of matched up. There weren't any obvious, the, 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 I think the highest ranked eight win team last year was Louisville because they basically, their offense was so good. And then they uh-huh. got, they hit a, they had a really nice hot streak midway through the season um, before the disappointing bowl. Uh, and their offense was obviously very good. But um, really, most of the teams that won a lot of games ranked really high last year. So yeah. there isn't an obvious. You have to almost go down to Michigan to find a kind of a unique case. I think they were ended up 26 to 27th, only went eight and five, uh, lost to basically nothing but top 20 teams, and then you know collapsed in the bowl against South Carolina. Which, I mean, I, I think I, I ignore bowl results yeah. whenever possible. Yeah. So that didn't really do anything for me. So I think they're pretty close to, to making a humongous bounce back and they better be, cause they're going to face like four top 12 teams this year. Yeah. But, um, but you have to almost go down to that point. There's not an obvious, like this team was seven and six and 11th this year. So, you know, moving in more, I guess, to Oklahoma, since, uh, <laughs> that's where we're here. Yeah. 
how how good? I mean, was Oklahoma's offense last year as a? I mean, it, it, statistically, I, I doubt you've come across many that have been on on that plane. Yeah, I think um, in the OU preview this year, I, I looked at basically the top five in terms of offensive S&P Plus uh, of the 2010s so far, since we're almost through that decade. And the top three were basically 2017 OU, 2016 OU, and 2013 A&M with Johnny Manziel. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, only, I think, only the Cam Newton-Auburn offense came within a couple of points of those three teams. And so, I mean, it was it was awesome. It was clearly an awesome offense. I think from a stat standpoint, I think it was the offense was so good that it kind of skewed things. Like, I think the defense ended up ranked like 101st or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, with the better opponent adjustments that I'm incorporating, that, that moves them up a little bit because of the offenses they faced. But the, the, it was still... Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's an area that has been tweaked to actually win championships and they, and they damn near did. And, um, it's going to be when I wrote the preview, like because of, of Baker Mayfield and the person, it, it just the identity that he brought to the table, it's so hard to take the kind of the normal preview approach. And like, they were this good recently and then they lose these players and, and all that. You, you almost have to just break it all down and say, okay, well, who's, who do they have? Let's ignore everything that we know about last year's stats. Like who do they have? Uh, and, and look at it from that approach. And I mean, oh, you obviously still has a lot of offensive talent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, looking at, I guess, Obviously, you mentioned how poorly the defense performed, and anybody who was watching could see it. Was there was there one thing that stood out about how badly they cratered to you last year? I mean, either either what you saw with your eyes or what you saw what the numbers tell you. It, no, and that's what's kind of frustrating. I mean, they basically, I, as I wrote in the preview, like they, they spent half the year playing like a top 30 defense and half the year playing like a bottom 30 yeah. defense. Uh, they were so good out of the gates. They, they shut down Ohio State. Um, it, it was kind of bend, don't break you, but that works. Um, and they, you know, they, the first, so non-conference, they were very, very, very good. Tulane had a pretty good offense. They shut it down. Um and then you get to Big 12 play and a really bad Baylor offense scores 41 points. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just kind of like switch on and then switch off about halfway through the Oklahoma State game. Yeah. Everything was fine again. They, they slow Oklahoma State down in the second half. They seize control of that game. They, uh, you know, they they don't dominate TCU, but they held TCU to 20 points or under twice. That's very, very good. Yeah. Uh, and so when, when it happens like that and there's not a specific injury to tie to it, it's really hard to describe and it's really hard to know what to expect moving forward, too. And so that's kind of frustrating from a writing standpoint. Yeah. Um, you know, they had a lot of problems there in the middle of the year with uh, Jordan Thomas, who was you know expected to be, you know, a first round caliber type player and just something happened. I don't know what, <laughs> but I mean, you know, he, I mean, he, he was so, he, they eventually had to bench him against uh, o- 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 Oklahoma state. And it mm-hmm. seems like that, that from that point on when teams couldn't, weren't picking on him, they, they got, they got better. Now, obviously a lot of what we saw against Georgia kind of undid that, but uh, yeah, it, that part is, is really hard to, uh, to understand for, for me at least. And it's, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing where you're now looking ahead. I, I just, I can't say with any <laughs> definitive certainty, like, Oh yeah, no, they're, they're clearly going to get better. They couldn't be that bad. Like it was just so inexplicable. Yeah, I mean, and there were so many, like, you just look at who's going to be starting this year, a lot of juniors, that which means there were a lot of sophomores last year. And so yeah. that can explain inconsistency. But again, this wasn't inconsistent. It was gr- very good and then very bad and then pretty good again. Yeah, yeah. And 
that like it's not supposed to work that way. But there's no question. I mean, you look at like three of the top five defensive linemen were sophomores. Um, what, like almost aside from Beal, every linebacker basically was a freshman or sophomore. Motley had to play a much bigger role than expected. I mean, Thomas struggled. Jordan Parker was out. Yeah. Uh, Motley held his own, made a, made a ton of disruptive plays, gave up a ton of plays. Yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, you play. You're you're a sophomore. You end up basically a number one cornerback in the Big Twelve. You come out of that basically like a five year NFL veteran. Um, yeah. So I mean, I, I'm pretty confident in him. I think he's got, he showed enough. He made enough plays of his own that that I think he'll be pretty good moving forward. But I mean, Trey Norwood's a sophomore this yeah. year, and and you, now you're looking at you know a potential freshman at safety. It's it's I have no idea. Like I, yeah. I assume the numbers will be better uh, and, and uh, you know, they're going to be running the ball enough to try to put the defense in pretty good positions to succeed. But yeah, it's, it, you just can't get a, a definitive read on whether this is a, a decent or bad defense. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, I'm, I'm having a really hard time myself just ar- trying to articulate what I'm expecting this year. So um, look at the rest of the big 12. If Oklahoma doesn't win the conference this year, who does? I, I think I'm most confident in TCU, but I'm really – it's a really strange year just in that, you know, so few quarterbacks are back. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's basically like between TCU, Texas, and Oklahoma State, some really good contender should emerge, but who has a quarterback? I thought Texas – you know, it seemed to me that they had a guy in Ellinger who – who could take that role, but then they, they continued to, to, you know, late in the year when both were healthy, Bouchelle and Ellinger kept bouncing back and forth. And and it sounded like in the spring, they kept bouncing back and forth. And so we still don't really know what that situation will produce. Uh, but if TCU has a quarterback, they're fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, that defense is going to be very good. Probably the best in the conference. Uh, the offense does have plenty to replace, uh, especially up front, but they should be all right. Um, so I think I'm most confident in TCU, but any of a batch of TCU, Texas, Oklahoma state, West Virginia, and Iowa state could end up being a contender. I, I, I feel like I'm not completely sure Iowa state belongs in that little batch right there, but I really like what they did defensively at times last year. So I'm going to include them for now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see it as, you know, kind of OU is the one and then the little, the, a small kind of tier behind them just with TCU and Texas. And then a big clump of teams behind behind them right there who are probably just going to beat each other up. Yeah, and West Virginia, uh, basically, like, if they're – if you just wrote out the starting 22, West Virginia might be second best in the conference. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've got a quarterback. They've got, like, yeah. the only proven quarterback in the top half of the conference uh, and and a couple good receivers, known entities that receiver and everything else. Like, that, that's great. Their second string might be, like, the, the worst in the conference besides Kansas. So – or the least proven, I should say. Uh, just massive holes on the second string. So, really, their entire season is going to be defined by who gets hurt and when and how, and for how long. And and it's so hard. That's why yeah. it's impossible to really – feel make confident predictions of any kind i guess but with west virginia especially if they if they're kind of if they're lucky from an injuries perspective they really could uh get on a nice run you just you can't ever count on that though i guess that really kind of wraps up everything i was hoping to uh to get to let, let me ask since we got a couple minutes left uh world cup pick who's uh who's gonna take <laughs> it home well i mean if brazil loses today um <laughs> Then I have absolutely no idea. We're, this is this is a 2007 esque World Cup sh- uh, shaping up a 2000 college football equivalent, mm-hmm. I should say. Um, we're losing all sorts of favorites. You're going to have whoever emerges uh, in the finals from the side of the bracket that we've determined so far. It's going to be like at least 50 years since any of them have been in the finals, or they never have. 
Like yeah. England suddenly looks like they have a great path, which is funny watching all England fans kind of in, instinctively, you know, gird themselves to be disappointed when they see that. <laughs> but um, I guess I'm riding with Brazil until proven otherwise. And that could be I could be proven otherwise very quickly. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that that's another one that uh, as good as they are, man, so flaky it seems like at times. Well, so. yeah, I mean, even the last time we saw them, that was a they were not that far from being eliminated from the the knockout stage at all. Like Serbia, when they played Serbia, they con- yeah. Serbia controlled most of that match, but then they had two nice little possessions and and uh, runs to score those goals, and that and and that kind of helped them out. So I mean, they're because they're so talented, they don't need to be amazing for ninety minutes. They can just have those little bursts of brilliance. Um, but I, I kind of hope that they they survive here too, just because I do think they're. I don't know. Like, I think you do need kind of an established entity instead of making it a total free for all those teams yesterday were playing kind of not to lose to a certain degree and, and, and just trying to survive. And I, I think we need a little aggressiveness and fun in there too. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's the thing, man, is uh, Brazil is its own thing when it comes to watching them play soccer compared to everyone else. You know I mean? It's just, they, they, they are out there doing their own thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, all right, well, Bill, uh, let everybody know where they can find all your work. Uh, well, you can, my Twitter account's SBN underscore Bill C. You can obviously everything, everything flows from there, but, uh, the college free football previews are rolling at SB nation. Uh, you can find a link at footballstudyhall.com as well with some other stuff from Ian Boyd and, and some other contributors. Um, uh, there was actually, I, I will pimp a couple of pieces from uh, a guy named Jake Trockelman who, uh, at study hall last week, put a couple of interesting gambling related pieces up about how wind and rain actually affect, yeah. uh, the the over under and all that stuff uh i thought that was really cool so i'll 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 promote that at football study hall yeah and get ready for that with uh gambling getting opened up you know i mean exactly yeah, i'm sure you're gonna be writing a lot more about that so yeah the spoiler is basically if it's windy or rainy hit the under really hard but that all that means is you have to trust the weather forecast so yeah put your put all your money based on the meteorologist and you'll win big <laughs> there you go all right well that's how that works yeah, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. All right. Well, Bill, thanks so much, man, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you all for joining us, too. For the Bite Overs and Podcast, I'm Alan Kenny. Take it easy. <laughs>